Torah scholars or communal Jewish leaders, should they focus on their own Torah learning or on communal needs? It may be that that was a debate between Mordechai of the Purim story and some of his colleagues at the Sanhedrin, as we shall see. Because towards the end of the Megillah, if them, from the Megillah, right at the end of the Megillah, tells us that Mordechai was appoint, appointed to an official position in Achashverosh's kingdom, and he was pleasing or acceptable to the majority of his brothers. So commenting on that latter part, the Gemara tells us, the Gemara Megillah tells us, that Mordechai was only acceptable to the majority of his brothers, not all of them, we have to work out who his brothers are, says the Gemara, it means that a segment of the Sanhedrin distanced themselves from, Mo- from Mordechai, and that is his brothers. As the Marashot tells us, the brothers referred to in this Pasuk are Mordechai's colleagues who came from the great Sanhedrin and became part of the Anshe Knesset Sagadoyla. Why? And Rashi's Mefarishdom Tam. Favos Sanhedrin Homzech Perish given from Mordechai. So Rashi explains why it is that a segment of the Sanhedrin left or distanced themselves from Mordechai. Because he left the Sanhedrin where he could have been engaged in Torah learning all day long and instead he took an official position in the community serving Achashverosh. Okay, so that's what the Gemara says. Some people were displeased with the fact that Mordechai took an official position and they felt that he had abandoned Torah and therefore they had to distance themselves. Then the Gemara immediately continues. Nachdem is the Gemara Mamshech. That actually, there's a lesson in this that it is greater to engage in Torah learning than it is even to save lives. How do we know that? Because originally in the book of Nehemiah, uh, sorry, the book of Ezra, Mordechai is listed after four other people in the Pasuk. And then later on in the book of Nehemiah, sorry, and in the end of the book of Nehemiah, he is listed after five people, so he kind of gets demoted on the scale and then the Gemara brings the two psukim that illustrate that Mordechai is so to speak demoted from being fourth on, on the list to fifth on the list indicating that because he had become involved in communal responsibility in this case national responsibility and it came at a cost to Torah learning so therefore he is seen in a lesser light so as in Afrika Kapasak in Ezra Gerechant als der Fünfter und in Avaitika Pasak Nechemi als der Sechser, right? In the Pasak in Ezra he's the fifth person on the list after four others, and in the Pasak Nechemi he's the sixth. Why? Because Mordechai had become a, an officer in the courts of Achashverosh. So therefore what happened is, He was demoted from the stature that he had amongst the Chachamim. At least that's how Rashi explains it. So now isn't it move on? The Rebbe says there's something about this Gemara that does not make sense. Because the statement made by the Gemara, which seems to be a very gen- general statement, as God the fact that Torah learning is even more important than saving lives. The rabbis, instead of bringing Pesukim from Ezra and Nehemiah, could have actually illustrated this point from the story of Mordechai himself, as the Gemara has just told us. That only a segment of his brothers still supported him. And there was a section of the Sanhedrin that distanced themselves from Mordechai. Surely that shows us that no matter the fact that he was serving government and obviously with the Jewish interests at heart, that wasn't good enough because he was no longer learning Torah. There you have it clearly. The reason he moved position from Sanhedrin to Achashverosh's kingdom or to his court 
was in order to put the interests of the Jewish people first, and it came at a cost of Torah learning. And and, and there you have it, Pirshamon and Mitzvah Sanhedrin. So that's already something seen in a negative light. So why then does the Gemara have to learn it from elsewhere, from the order of where Mordechai appears, how it changes in two different psukim, in two different books, in Basundra Sifra Tanach? Just say it from here. So, as I know, my first question is an answer that is offered by the Rif on his, in his commentary on the Yaakov, where he says, as from Loshin and Megillah came and Nochei Ares Lenin, as by Sanhedrin is Talmud Torah given Merchoshe Ve'atzolus Nefoshes. So the Rif wants to say, look, if you're going to look at the Pasuk in the Megillah, it's members of the Sanhedrin who took a step back from Mordechai, which implies that they obviously felt that for a member of Sanhedrin, Torah learning should trump dealing with communal issues, even if it's to save lives. But the fact that certain individuals on the Sanhedrin felt that way does not mean that it is an acceptable axiom of Judaism that Hashem would have endorsed. That's why the Gemara has to find another source where we see some diminishing or demoting of Mordechai. Which is in Torah language, not just the opinion of individuals who lived at his time. And there you see it, because the Psukim, which is Torah, changes where Mordechai belongs in the pecking order. So that would indicate that the Torah endorses the belief that because Mordechai stepped away from Torah learning, he is demoted in, in our uh, appreciation for him. That's how the Rif explains it. The Rebbe says that's not the simplest answer to accept because D was mentioned. Let's be honest. The people who stepped back from their relationship with Mordechai were not Amchal. They were not people of the street. Nor Echov Chavri Sanhedrin. They were the most qualified Torah scholars of the time who represented the Sanhedrin. And their entire lives is focused, was focused on fulfilling not just the theory of Torah, but the halachic practicalities of Torah. Surely if people of the Sanhedrin, rabbis of that caliber, if they felt that Mordechai needs to be arm's length, surely that in itself is an endorsement from Hashem, because that's obviously what halacha says. Okay, so before we can answer that question, which seems more like a technical question, let's ask a more philosophical question about what's going on over here, because something really doesn't make sense to have such disparate views about whether Mordechai was or wasn't appropriate in his behavior seems a bit odd. So let's understand what's going on over here conceptually, because it really boggles the mind. Number one, let's say that what the Gemara is telling us is an axiom and it's true in all cases that Torah study always overrides any communal activity, including saving lives. So if Mordechai now transgressed such an important axiom of Judaism, why is he only demoted one rank in the pecking order, from being number five on the list to being number six on the list, from Bosser Dalid to Bosser Hay. Actually, Mordechai shouldn't be on the list of Sanhedrin members anymore because Sanhedrin, their whole world is about dedication to the Torah and rendering halachic decisions, and Mordechai apparently has stepped back from that or stepped down from that. Why is he on the list at all if it's such a big deal? Number two, base. For Mashmoisa Posik is Fashtandik, if you 
understand the pasuk at the end of the Megillah literally, then it implies as Mordechai Sroral's mission of Melchot Gedurit Hamesheh Zman. It would appear that Mordechai retained his position in Achashverosh's cabinet for many years. And that caused many of his, uh, well, some of his friends not to be so happy with him. A massive from Pirushim so now his mimon of shach doesn't seem to make sense. Either Mordechai should have straight away set the record straight and illustrated to them that what he was doing is acceptable and then they would have all reconciled with him. Or alternatively, or Mordechai should have said, sorry, you're right, I need to step down and resign from Achashverosh's cabinet. Which immediately would have reinstated his position amongst all of his chaverim. So something doesn't make sense over here. Is this now a running argument between Mordechai and the other members of the Sanhedrin? How does that work? So in order to understand that, we're actually going to flip the question around completely. Because if you are paying attention to what the Gemara says and what the Pasuk says, actually it sounds like Mordechai had a lot of support. So we've asked the question as if, why isn't Mordechai responding to the people who... A detra- uh, his detractors, well, maybe the answer is because he has a tremendous amount of support. Where do you see that in the Pasuk? Let's go back to the exact wording of the Megillah and the exact wording of how the, Meg- the Gemara explains the words of the Megillah, which is that Mordechai was appreciated by the majority of his brothers, i.e. his, his colleagues in the Sanhedrin. And therefore, says the Gemara Pirushim Menu, nor Miktas Sanhedrin. That's why only some of the Sanhedrin pulled back from him. That implies that the vast majority of the sitting members of the Sanhedrin endorsed Mordechai's behavior. Therefore, if it's only a small portion of the members of the Sanhedrin who were unimpressed and therefore disassociated from Mordechai, that would never be proof that axiomatically Torah learning is more important than saving lives because it's only a small group of people who took that position and opposed Mordechai's decision. In fact, to the contrary, from them came in a race and We could actually argue the exact opposite. If you consider that the majority of the Sanhedrin still appreciated and acknowledged Mordechai, that implies that they all obviously must have agreed with him. And that would be a really simple explanation of why Mordechai's name only gets shifted one down the line of the order of the Chavre Sanhedrin. Because actually the vast majority of members of the Sanhedrin supported him. So there's no reason to remove him from the list. He just takes one step down because he doesn't have full support. And the truth is, if that's the case, let's flip the question. The question actually should be the exact opposite to what we asked. We're wondering how Mordechai could have behaved, and in the long term, in a way that was not approved by members of the Sanhedrin. Well, what about the fact that most of the Sanhedrin does support him? In other words, Aleph. When you look at the Pasuk, it implies clearly that Mordechai was endorsed by the majority of the Sanhedrin. Surely the majority should have defined what the 
whole Sanhedrin view should be. Isn't that how we do it? Right? You follow the majority. So why were they some who distanced themselves from Mordechai? It was not good, for them, good enough for them that the majority of the Sanhedrin endorsed them. Why were they not willing to relinquish their minority view in favor of the majority view, which is supportive of Mordechai? Also, Bayes, if you look at it from the perspective that the majority of the Sanhedrin actually was in favor of Mordechai's view, Roy Vechov, well then, it, it, it turns out as the two things the Gemara says one after the other. Vas the Gemara bring to nein emshech, pirushim emenu nor mikdash Sanhedrin. Firstly, that part of the Sanhedrin stood back from Mordechai, and then we got the Talmud Torah Yosem Atzalus Nefoshes. The idea that Torah study trumps saving lives. Zanin zegosh soiser in adam tzvet, and they're actually contradictory statements because the first one is saying most people agreed with Mordechai that you take the position of public office, and then you're saying axiomatically. Torah learning is even more important. Well, which one is it? Okay, so in order to understand this, let's zero in on the wording. Sanhedrin. There are many ways that we could have described the fact that there was dissent in the, the ranks against Mordechai. Why says In order to explain this, let's look at that particular nuance. It says that certain members of the Sanhedrin distanced themselves from Mordechai. Not that they argued against him. Or use a more power of expression. They weren't impressed with his attitude or approach. Or I'm sure the Gemara could have come up with a similar phrase. That expression that they distanced themselves or dis... Well, distance is probably the best word. From Mordechai means... Doesn't mean that they have a fundamental disagreement. In which they would claim that Mordechai's behavior is antithetical to Torah. That's not the case. It just means they stepped away from his behavior and attitude. Which means that they obviously felt that as members of the Sanhedrin, or generally speaking, Torah scholars should behave differently. And in their minds, his way is not their way. It's not that there's an issue halachically with it. They just think issues should have been handled differently. But means they are still willing to acknowledge that Mordechai has an approach that is acceptable within the parameters of Torah. Okay, so now we've got to understand what is it that they were okay with, but not okay enough with, to say we should be doing the same thing. We're going to go our way, you go your way. Why? So to explain this, we're going to look at an interesting story with the Rogachava, uh, with the, the Rogachava and the Friedekerber, and it will help us to understand the two schools of thought represented by Mordechai and his detractors in the Sanhedrin. Riga, when the Friedekerber escaped from Russia and landed up in Riga in Latvia, he assembled a meeting of different leading rabbis, as well as other communal leaders. The idea was to work outside of Russia for the value and benefit of Jews who were trapped still behind the Iron Curtain. 
zwischen die eingeladene Isaiah Gewende Ragachava. One of the people invited to this meeting was the Rabbi Ragachava Goyen. Bei der Sifa, ob man gewollt, was stimmt denn erwart, was soll sich zusammenkommen mit Mann und Mann? One of the proposals of this meeting was that they should have created a committee that would meet on an intermittent basis. Und sich miyasche sein, wie zu führen die Arbeit für die Russischen. And they would then strategize how to do things on behalf of the Jews stuck in Russia. So they asked the Rogachava to be one of the members of this committee, and as we'll see, he resisted. So he declined, and he explained the reason being, He said the question of whether or not he should join such a committee was actually resolved by a debate between the Talmud Bavli and Yerushalmi. Okay, what does the Bavli and Yerushalmi say? It talks about people whose lives are dedicated to Torah learning. The Gemara is in Brochus. The Gemara in Brochus tells us as Chassidim or Yishonim or Yishonim Teisha Shois by Yom Batfila. The original Chassidim used to spend a lot of time on their davening up to nine hours a day. Fet Gemara, the Gemara asks, if they're so busy davening, what will preserve their Torah knowledge? They're not learning during those nine hours. They're davening. And how do they actually earn a living? And the Gemara Frankfurt to which the Gemara answers because they are pious individuals who go beyond the requirement of the law. Therefore, there's a special bracha that preserves their Torah learning so they don't lose their Torah learning because they're davening. And their work is blessed so that they get results much more quickly and they don't have to spend so much time working in order to support themselves. That's the Talmud Bavli. In Yerushalmi, the Yerushalmi brings the same question, but a different perspective. Instead of saying that because they Hasidim, their Torah is preserved, and parenthetically the part is not relevant to our conversation, that their work has a special brocha, state the Yerushalmi says as follows. Because they like the Bavli, there was a brocha in their Torah learning. And likewise, there was also a brocha in their work. We're not going to focus on the work, we're going to focus on the Torah learning. What's the difference between the Talmud Bavli saying that their Torah learning is preserved and the Talmud Yerushalmi saying that the Torah learning is blessed? So, it's actually quite simple what the distinction is. The word preserve implies that what they're learning isn't forgotten. Because, of course, one of the most important ways to preserve learning is to review. If they're davening, they don't have as much time to review. So the bracha is that they don't forget their learning. But, of course, they're not going to get new insights into the Torah during the time that they're not learning Torah. Now, people say, can learn in them The only time they could add to their Torah learning or understanding is in the other hours when they're not davening. And that's actually a reduced period of time to learn Torah. So according to the Talmud Bavri, the brocha of the people who are dedicated to the path of Hasidus and learning Torah is they don't forget what they've learned. Whereas the Yerushalmi that says there's a brocha injected into their learning, that implies That means that, they were, that the brocha was that they grasped things very, very quickly. And they, they didn't have the delay of processing and understanding. Those haste, in other words, as need not forgetens they need vos they learn. Not only don't they forget what they had already learned, but rather they have an additional perspective and insight into their learning. 
In the short time that they have to learn Torah, they grasp things and understand them much more quickly. Something that should have, by the way of nature, taken much longer is quick for them. So it expedites the learning process. So the Talmud Bavli says, the person who davens long has a bracha that he doesn't forget what he has already learned. The Talmud Yerushalmi says, he actually has an expedited learning program and, and he absorbs really quickly. So, Ragachava uses this debate to apply to his situation whether or not to join the committee for uh, Russian jury. If, says Ragachava, he's going to join the committee, nobody can argue the fact that he'd have to sacrifice a certain time of his Torah learning. So now, if you go with the Yerushalmi's perspective, no worries. So you don't learn Torah during the time you're on the committee. That's okay. There'll be a special bracha that will expedite your learning when you have the time and you'll chap everything much more quickly. As the Yerushalmi says, So you won't lose anything. But Vibaldoba says the Rogachova as Halochi Kebavli, seeing however that when there's a debate between the Talmud Yerushalmi and the Talmud Bavli, the halachic reality follows the Talmud Bavli. Which can only guarantee the preservation of what you have already learned. So the Rogachava says simply, that means I'm definitely going to lose out the potential new Torah learning I could have done in those hours. I'm going to be sitting on this committee. And the Rogachava says he's unfortunately unable to compromise that additional Torah learning. So now that we understand these two perspectives of the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, whether you get an injection of more learning or insight, or whether you just get the preservation of your existing Torah, suits the two different ways that Talmud Bavli and Talmud Yerushalmi work. The methodology of Talmud Bavli is with a tremendous amount of discussion, debate, questions, answers and proofs. As the Gemara says, when the Pasuk tells us that the Ebrister put us into darkness, it's actually an analogy for Talmud Babli, where you walk around in the dark until slowly things start to become clear. It's like a person who's fumbling around in the darkness. You need a lot of work and a lot of looking. You need to ask questions, you need to gather information. Until eventually you have clarity, until eventually you find the light. Talmud Yerushalmi is a much straighter line of Torah learning. Talmud Yerushalmi goes straight to the correct way of thinking and therefore a resolution to a question. Like a person is standing in an illuminated area. So the Bavli type of learning is much more convoluted and involved and complex, whereas the Yushalmi is straight line. So therefore it follows. If you proceed with the Talmud Bavli outlook and processing, well, if in order to construct learning you need many, many elements and components and discussion and debate, then you, if you only have a little bit of time, all it can do for you is consolidate and preserve what you already have. 
You won't forget what you've already learned. But in the Talmud Bavli reality, it's not likely or probably not possible that in a short compressed period of time, you could actually add value to your Torah because to add value requires time and effort and exploration and research. So the Talmud Bavli says it's not likely or possible that you'll have this very short chapping of of, of concepts. Because that does not talk the language of how Talmud Bavli teaches Torah, therefore it's not a possibility that the Talmud Bavli could offer you. But if you take the approach and the processing of Talmud Yerushalmi, which is the straight line and clarity, well, then it's absolutely possible that you can have Brocha in your learning because everything is clear and easy and straight. That people can understand and grasp concepts really quick, quickly without delays. Which would fit the style of learning of Talmud Yerushalmi under all circumstances, which is you go straight to the point and you understand it. Okay, so now we've got the Talmud Babli and Yerushalmi. That's going to help us understand the difference between Mordechai and his colleagues because let's think a little bit about the history of who these Anshe Knesset Agadoilo or Chavri Sanhedrin are. It will help us to get perspective. So what's the difference between Mordechai's attitude and approach, which is acceptable to the majority of Sanhedrin, on the Shita for Mitzvah Sanhedrin versus the opinion of the minority, that is tolling the Plukta Hanal Tzvishan Babli and Yerushalmi. That comes back to the core of what this debate would be between the Babli and Yerushalmi. Obviously, they predate Babli and Yerushalmi, but the thinking does not. The Sanhedrin Gidoila, to be part of the great Sanhedrin means you were selected from the many or the smaller Sanhedrois that were scattered around Israel. So either you were in Israel in the Sanhedrin Katana or you were in uh, Yerushalayim in the Sanhedrin Gedoyla. So therefore, so these are people who are scholars of Eretz Israel. You must anticipate that their style of learning would be similar to the Talmud of Eretz Yisrael, Talmud Yerushalmi. In other words, straight, clear, no, no obstacles along the way. And certainly at that period of time, where it was a very elevated generation. No, right? The Talmud Yerushalmi is in the Gomorrah period. This is already in the Mishnah. And even before that, Anshe Knesset Sagadola, these were giants of people. They had the Eretz Yisrael Dika approach to learning on steroids. But the reality is at the same time, some of the Tanoim actually originated from Bovel. Like we'll see later in history, Hillel Olami Bovel, Hillel came from Bovel, Rabbi Nosan Habavli Void. So we have to bear in mind, of course, that historically we're now talking decades later after the great scholars of Eretz Yisrael had been taken out of Eretz Yisrael. So where are the great scholars of Eretz Yisrael at this point in time? They're in Bovel. And who were the Anshei Knesset Sagdola? They were from the captives of Nebuchadnezzar that he took from Eretz Yisrael and brought to Bovel. And that happened during the time of the first year of Kodesh. Anyhow, 52 years now down the line that they're in Bovel. 
Aber euch, wenn ich euch Masker, was noch mehr schleim, sei denn, sie schön gewesen bei Meilossem Säuen, in dem ich von Alimut. But by the time they were taken into captivity to Babel, they were qualified people who had the approach and style of learning of its Eretz Yisraelitical scholars. So practically, the members of the Sanhedrin are by and large Israel scholars. Their learning is like Talmud Yerushalmi. Und der Riberat Mordechai wird Revers und Hedden gehalten, also muss während der Mission der Melech Zlibat Zolus Nefoshes, which would explain why Mordechai himself and the majority of his colleagues in the Sanhedrin, originating from Eretz Yisrael, believe that the correct thing is Mordechai's got to be on this committee. Except he has not a committee, it's the, it's the cabinet of the king, to save the Jewish people. Ah, we can't even believe in Sanhedrin, when Shekhar Sagdoyle was in his name, that Torah was then you'll ask, Mordechai, Gesundheit, go do this wonderful work on behalf of Klal Yisrael, but you can no longer be a member of the Sanhedrin. He says, what do you mean? The world of Eretz Yisrael, the world which will later develop into Talmud Yerushalmi says, when you do something like a chosid, you have a bracha that speeds up your learning. Therefore, Mordechai is confident that his success in Torah learning will not just be that he won't lose his old Torah learning from before he became part of Achashverosh's kingdom, but he'll have the bracha of a quicker ability to learn. So which means that he'll be able to have success in his Torah learning that is disproportionate to the amount of time he can actually dedicate to that learning. And that's Rotsoy Lerei Vechov. The majority of his colleagues in the Sanhedrin, they've been through the same process. They come from Eretz Yisrael. They think like Eretz Yisrael. They have the power of Eretz Yisrael. And they say, you're right. You're going to go. And in the spare time that you have to learn, you're going to have incredible success. But there was a small group within the Sanhedrin who were not from Eretz Yisrael and therefore their style of learning was the more prolonged and complex experience of Talmud Bavli-like learning. Which means that they could only access a bracha to preserve their existing learning, not to embellish their new learning. So in their minds, if they would dedicate time to the community, even if it's to save lives, then they would not be in a position to constantly grow in their Torah learning. In that case, they would not be suitable to be members of the Sanhedrin. It doesn't mean that they thought Mordechai was wrong or the majority of the Sanhedrin was wrong. They just knew it could not apply to them. They couldn't have replicated that in their own lives. So therefore they had to take their own path, which is protect your Torah learning and don't get too involved in community stuff. Now, so far what we've seen is the approach of the Talmud Yerushalmi, which we're applying to Mordechai and the majority of the Sanhedrin, that if you're doing something which is like a chosid for the sake of the community, or the example in the Gemara, a person who's dedicated a lot of time to their davening, is that there will be brocha given to their learning and it will expedite the learning program. And yet, and that of course would have worked in Mordechai's favor and his learning would have increased. Still, Mordechai is somewhat demoted in terms of how he is valued by the Chachamim. For the fact that he gave up Torah study time in order to take public office. Why? 
Because yes, Mordechai, you're going to get the best of both worlds. You're going to be servicing the community and you're going to have the bracha of this very fast grasping of what you're learning. But you cannot, by doing that, replace the very unique and special experience of somebody whose full-time occupation is Torah. Means that a person doesn't suspend the Torah learning for anything. The person who's involved in Torah, complete dedication 24-7 to Torah, doesn't worry about whether or not it's going to benefit or prejudice me. They don't compromise Torah learning. That's the next thing the Gemara tells us. Mordechai, you're 100% right, you're acceptable, your behavior is fine, it's just not for everybody. In addition to that, you need to know, we, the reader, the Jewish person needs to know, that Talmud Torah as a complete focus is even greater than saving souls. In other words, there's a unique greatness to the person who is totally invested in Limerat Torah. Mordechai, by taking public office, diminished that unique greatness of being somebody who is a full-time terrorist student. So naturally, Mordechai has to be somewhat demoted in the world of scholars because he's no longer a full-time scholar. It's a minor demotion from being fifth in line to sixth in line, but it's a statement nonetheless that as beautiful and wonderful as what you are doing, Mordechai, it doesn't come to the greatness of full-time Torah learning. But in spite of the fact that Mordechai would take a personal loss because he would now step into a public office, he and the majority of Haverim felt it was still the correct thing to do. Yes, Mordechai, you will go, you're going to lose out in a personal way. You will not have this very unique um, p- premium position of somebody who is completely dedicated to Torah. Is Eskedai, it's worthwhile? Because you're going to help other people. To be somebody who seeks the good and speaks well of his people, especially when you consider that Achashverosh was not a good man. And you needed to have that voice in his cabinet because who knows what he would do in the future. So Mordechai takes a personal knock in terms of what could have been a pristine spiritual state for the sake of the community. Now, still might be something about this explanation that isn't absolutely clear because Yes, it's true, as we've identified from the Yerushalmi, that somebody who does something so special, they will have extra brocha and their learning will speed up. And therefore, and therefore, Mordechai obviously was not going to lose out. Not only would he not lose his existing knowledge, but he wouldn't even lose the opportunity to increase and deepen his knowledge. Still, and of course, Mordechai was going to be doing something really, really important and special, potentially saving lives, which would make it worthwhile to take the knock, as is only signed to Rosimnosa, to no longer qualify as the premium Jewish scholar. That's all great, Mordechai, for you as an individual, it's the correct thing to do, but how could you still be on the Sanhedrin? 
isn't a member of a Sanhedrin supposed to be completely immune to the rest of the world, cloistered in a world only dedicated to Torah learning and to legal decisions? In other words, how could it be that the Sanhedrin, which is supposed to be a body of pristine Torah knowledge to the exclusion of all else, should have a member who is supposed to compromise that great stature of himself and the Sanhedrin he represents in order to save people? Get somebody else to save the people. Stabir and Dem explanation is a state in Tonad Velio. There's a powerful saying from Tonad Velio, which is, It is appropriate for the members of the great Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim, and literally tie iron chains around their waists, and lift up their robes so that they don't drag on the floor and slow them down. And they personally should travel to every city in Israel and teach the Eden Torah. Now, this is incredible because when you consider the halakhic ramifications of a Sanhedrin on the move, you realize that the din is, the halach is, as when Sanhedrin, when the Sanhedrin was eventually removed from being in the special chamber they had in the base of and they actually moved to Tiberia or various other places, eventually Tiberia, they would not have the right to judge a capital case. In other words, if you follow the Tonet Veliyahu and the Sanhedrin are on the move doing their roadshow to all the different Jewish communities, during that time they would be completely weakened as a body, as a Sanhedrin. They wouldn't be able to fulfill certain parts of their mandate. Nevertheless, the Tonad Velio teaches us that they had an obligation to do this. They had an obligation to step down from their official seat of legal authority and go out on the streets, teach people Torah. For them, which helps us to understand us, the Iker Tafkut Fundi Sanhedrin is, it will focus for us that the primary responsibility of the Sanhedrin is to teach and guide the public. Which of course will save the public from negative or inappropriate behaviors. And in order to facilitate that objective, they had to step down from their powerful, important role as Sanhedrin, to help the public, to make sure the public are engaged with their Judaism in the way that they should. And that reflects back on the story of Mordechai. Even though by Mordechai becoming a member of Achashverosh's cabinet, it definitely demoted or decreased his greatness as a member of Sanhedrin. From he gets pushed down the line of the, the pecking order of the members of Sanhedrin. More importantly, he lost that unique stature of somebody whose life is absolutely committed only to Torah. 
is Abdi Rida Kitai, but it's appropriate. I feel it's only Alphonse Sanhedrin Kufa, not just as a hero on behalf of the Jewish people. It's appropriate as a member of the Sanhedrin to surrender some of their greatness. Because it would be for the benefit of the public. Like the Tanah Dvelio that says, Sanhedrin, you're great, you're wonderful, you're powerful. Now pick up your robes and go out there and help the people. Because that's really what you've got to do. You see this in the Friedrich Rebbe's behavior as a flex gazlin in von sein Zeit, was a volt gekent abgeben. You find that the Friedrich Rebbe would kaviochel steal some of the time that he could have invested into his own learning and davening, and spent that time instead with communal interest and literally saving lives. And not only that, but if you know the history of the Fidik Rebbe in Russia or post-Russia, dealing with the Jews in Russia, he had an expectation of the lion Shevis Hasidim, they should do similar things. That they should also follow this path, which means the Fidik Rebbe even instituted a system where students in Yeshiva Zolen bein asdorim in between their periods of learning. Avegem and agivisen telfon says manef afotzas aterev ayadus chutzah should take off time to go out there and spread Yiddishkeit. You might say terosim umnasim yeshiva bochem go out and do mifzoim. On the Saskos is zeitenweise in anoifen as a chelagod from the zman afotzas gate avek and anybody who's been involved in outreach, especially as it was in those days, will know that a large part of the time is used nitoifenetzem lenu mitin zveiten, not actual learning. But other needs of the community. You've got to recruit participants. You've got to play, find a place to teach. Create a budget, fulfill the budget in order to be able to afford the things. The Friedrich Rebbe's Chiddush is that even those people who are bound by the reality of Talmud Bavli, because that's us, which means that at best out, we won't lose from our Torah learning because of our outreach. These people have to go out there and they have to commit to the community and help the community. These people means us, even at the cost of our own learning. Even if we're not going to have that big bracha that Yerushalmi speaks about the Mordechai had, because we're not at that level and we're not Talmud Yerushalmi people, we still have to go out and do it. Because to behave like the Rogachov and say, it's not for me, I cannot afford to compromise my Torah learning for the community, that is a unique case. There's very few, perhaps one in a generation like that, who really are full-time Torah scholars in the real sense. And they have to be like the minority group in the Sanhedrin. Uh, constantly investing in and growing their Torah learning. But the rest of us, the correct approach to serving Hashem for the vast majority of people, including people who are Torah scholars, is Kipsakadin has to follow the halachic ruling, which is, that in today's world, there are no full-time Torah scholars in the way of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai or others. And the reality is we pause from our learning to take care of other things like eating sushi. 
Then we certainly have to take time to pause from our Torah learning to reach out and to touch other Yidin. Now consider the Friedrich Rebbe. You can't begin to understand the depth and power of how he in his personal life served Abisha, Torah learning, davening, etc. Especially we know what the Baal Shem Tov applies to the Pasuk that says, Kumi oiri kibo oirech. Wake up and illuminate because your light has come and Abishta's uh, glory will shine on you. So the Baal Shem Tov explains it as follows. Atem Yisrael, you leaders of the Jewish people. Who are willing to suspend your own Torah and your own service of Hashem so that you can benefit the public? <coughs> What's going to happen to you? So the Baal Shem Tov explains, you're not going to lose out. You're going to go from your personal light to a broader, greater, more powerful light. In other words, that a Nasi, a spiritual Jewish leader, a Rebbe, has a unique bracha. That he will never lose out in his own Torah and service of the Ebishter by servicing the community, looking after the community. To the country, he's going to have the Ebishter's light. Which is way more powerful than even what the Yerushalmi said. The Yerushalmi said that the person will have a quicker grasp of the Torah learning. The Baal Shem Tov interprets the Pasuk of Yeshaya to mean that there'll be this light of the Ebishter that fills a person's space. So this has a very direct lesson for us and how we should conduct ourselves. As we well, well know the Baal Shem Tov's interpretation of the Mishnah Megillah that says, that if a person reads the Megillah in an incorrect order, he will not fulfill his obligation. What it actually means is if a person reads the Megillah as if it is historical, and not current and relevant is like Yotza, you haven't fulfilled the obligation. Therefore, the lesson for us is as there's an expectation from us to behave in a particular way. To at least have a leaf out of Mordechai's book. To become a public figure. Who could represent the Jewish people and speak well of the Jewish people? Even if it only means that most people, but not all people, will find your behavior acceptable, but you're working for the Jewish community. Even though for many people that could entail some kind of spiritual decline, because the person will have to sacrifice their own sense of spiritual perfection. It is a worthwhile investment in the value for the community. And this is something you could apply to every individual. Because that's the story of our neshama. Before we start worrying about if it's beneath our dignity to go out and help the community, let's remember it was beneath our neshama's dignity to enter our body. It went from the highest heights down into the lowest pit. In order to do what? To impact the body, to impact the nefesh abahamis, to impact the world. To transform those, all of them, into accommodation for God. 
So if the neshama could do that for us, we could do it for the next yid. And then that's still speaking to a person as a yeshiva bacher. You've got to take some time off out of the yeshiva and go look after the community. And then a person gets married. Then there's another layer that enters. Besides the fact that a human being has to impact the world, you know, Shama came into this world so you make a difference. Besides the fact that a boch has to go out and touch people through our fotzer. A person gets married and then what happens? The Megillah tells us, every person has to become the master, which means the director of their home. Like the saying, that a, an appropriate wife is a wife who fulfills her husband's intentions. And to take that position as head of household is a spiritual step down. Like the famous Gemara in Yavamas that says, that marrying a woman is a spiritual step down from the complete investment in spirituality without concerns of earning a living and running a household. Because a person has to be willing to relinquish some of their own perceived perfection in order to have a positive impact on those around them starting with their own family. And that's why you actually find that the, the, the Torah speaks about a greatness that is attributed to people who are involved in community affairs even more so than people who are completely invested in Torah. Because the halach is that if a person is full-time in Torah, they still have to pause to be able to say Shema. Yet a person who is engaged in communal activities is exempt even from Shema, indicating that there's something about looking after the community that is even greater than the highest form of Torah learning. Because even though if a person is completely dedicated and of course in the appropriate way to communal activities, it will come at the cost to their Torah learning and therefore in a co- at a cost to their personal growth and perfection. As the Gemara says, you give somebody communal responsibility and it will weaken them. That is the greatest, greatest thing that we could be part of, which is the benefit of the community. And if Mordechai was justified in taking a position in Achashverosh's cabinet to protect human lives of Jewish people, how much more so should we be willing to take those positions that will help save Neshamas? We should be very willing to relinquish our own perceived greatness in order to be able to help somebody and literally save a soul. To be somebody who speaks peace, in other words, brings harmony to every single Jewish person. And of course, harmony means harmony of soul and body. Until eventually we're so successful that the Jewish community all does tshuva, which will immediately bring the gula, because it should happen immediately.